Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Hope and Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J. R. Diglett. Yeah. Tonight to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thickland, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight right here on the Soul of America Radio Network. That's right, every Monday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock if you're in the Mountain Time Zone, 6 o'clock in the Pacific Time Zone, and wherever you may be around the globe, you can catch us here on Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is a radio format that is designed with you in mind. It is designed to address the issues that are related to domestic and sexual violence, issues that also relates to abandonment, rejection, isolation, abuse, all of those things, grief, that has caused you to need healing. We believe in this show here that there must be hope in healing, and that is your journey to wholeness, that inside of all situations, Eventually, what must happen is that there must be healing. In order for there to be healing, there must be hope. And we're here to help navigate that mission and navigate that journey with you each and every Monday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time. And so once again, I'm glad that you're here. And for those of you that are joining us by way of the World Wide Web, you can find us at www.com. You can soulofamericaradio.com. That's www.soulofamericaradio.com. Once you get there, go to live shows. And when you get to live shows, you can find us there at Hope and Healing. And uh, click on that link, and there you'll have us. Now, if you'd like to call in and listen in or either one, you can call in at area code 323-784-9638. That's area code 323-784-9638. 9638, that is how you reach us. That's how you get on the line. And if you desire to speak to me or whatever, have a comment or question, simply dial that number, area code 323-784-9638, and then hit the number 1 on your keypad. That lets our engineer know that you want to come on the air, and we'll get you on the air. Now, I need to give you a disclaimer here. Understand that all calls are recorded here. When I say all calls, every person that comes on the air is recorded. So we have your permission that inside of this, that oftentimes these recordings are played back. These shows are played back, or they may be used as a form of lessons and things that come along with that. So I want to make sure that you're aware of this tremendous opportunity to be able to address a very serious subject matter. 
Now, as we have reached here on this uh, July 13th date, so that means that here we are, July 13th. This is the second Monday in the month of July, and the summer is well on its way, and definitely we're enjoying all kind of weather, and definitely in the South Florida area, it has been just tremendous weather, very pleasant, very tropical, and for that reason, we enjoy a three-season uh, lifestyle here in the South Florida area. But though it's three-season far as weather-wise, we understand the rate of violence, and particularly Domestic violence have escalated, and we continue to see situations that plays themselves out each and every day. And so with that in mind, we'd like to open this show up tonight as being what we call an open line, open mic show, meaning that there's no particular subject matter that we're addressing tonight, but it's open line, and it's a perfect opportunity for not only for you to share, but an opportunity for you to listen, an opportunity for you to be a part of something that is big, something that can be the difference between someone who's strapped and someone who's getting free. And so to everyone that may be listening tonight, perhaps you are a survivor. Perhaps you're a person that have come through domestic violence. Well, guess what? Your story, your testimony may be just a difference in somebody's life to let them know that they also can come through it and come through it uh, with flying colors. We have done a series of shows uh, on this network as it relates to domestic violence, as it relates to turning pain into power, as it relates to people overcoming odds and understanding the fact that there is life after even abuse. And that is very important for us tonight, and particularly in this day and time where we see so many things happening. And I want to make sure I draw your attention to some of those things tonight. You know, in our most recent times here in just last month, uh, the nation has been rocking and reeling with so many different things that have been happening. As you know, just a month ago, we had a uh, horrific horrific occurrence to happen there in South Carolina, in Charleston to be exact. We had a uh, very horrific situation to happen with uh, uh, nine people being killed right there in the church. And with those nine individuals being killed right there in the church, it has sparked a lot of conversation about church safety and church security. And it's interesting because of the nature of this particular incident, there is a lot of attention that now that is being brought to church security and church safety, the safety of congregants. And I think that it's quite interesting that inside of us looking at church security, and we ought to, it is interesting that it is because that this here was related to a hate crime, to a person being racist, uh, that now we're having this conversation about church safety and security. And I think it's a great thing. I was just part of a panel here this past Friday in our area here uh, addressing the need for church security and safety. However, in saying that, we go a little step further. And the step further that we go is this, is that we recognize that inside of it, that if you look at the three leading cause of church violence, or should I say of church shooting, the three leading causes is, number one, domestic relationship, meaning domestic violence that is happening between a parishioner and someone, uh, 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 their significant other, their husband, wife, boyfriend, or girlfriend. Number two, a personal dispute, meaning there's a dispute between uh, church members or the church member and leadership, whether it be deacons and pastors or whoever it may be. And thirdly, it is robbery. Now, notice there I did not mention anything about uh, hate crimes or uh, racist 
type things happening, and we know that they happen because in also in the same time period, what have we seen happen? We have seen, if you would, uh, church burnings. Uh, matter of fact, six or seven to happen across the South, and particularly black churches. So where are you going with this? I'll tell you where I'm going. I'm going to the point that it's interesting that it's a lot easier and seeming a lot more swift attention is turned to safety and security when it tends to come from the hearts of those that may be racist, those that we could deem evil. It's a lot more easier for that to occur when we are looking at people that are coming from a different place, when there are people that are coming from a place of um, of why would I put it? When a person has come from a place of hatred and those type things, it's a lot easier for us to see this happening. Now, having said that, why hasn't it been that same type of response when the reality is is that we've had more church shootings to happen as a result of domestic violence than we've had of any other cause? And yet still we did not see this type of reaction to happen. And so that's the question today. When we come back right after this break, we're going to deal with the advent of is your church safe in case of a domestic violence situation breakout? You listen to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'll be right back after this break. via internet, you're probably seeing a series of advertisements. Please click on those advertisements as they help us to continue to bring you the best in Soulful Talk Radio. by choice to fellowship on Facebook is a spiritual, drama-free, judgment-free fellowship forum for like minds to share in encouragement through testimonies, scriptures, music, prayer, worship, and fellowship. It is our desire to be an oasis of hope in the midst of the deserts and wilderness of life's most challenging experiences. We welcome you for prayer requests as well as your testimonies as we collectively operate as thermostats changing life's experience through God's leading in His Word. Join us as we empower lives and shape destinies. That's Destiny by Choice 2 Fellowship on Facebook through a search you can find us. If you're listening via internet and you want to speak to the host, please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the Soul of America Radio. I am MD Harlem too, and I am fighting the power on the Soul of America Radio. 
Worldwide Coast to Coast Talk Radio. This is the Soul of America Radio. You're listening to Soar. And now back to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thickland. Welcome back to Open Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight on this Soul of America Radio Network. Just before the break, we begin to draw a parallel between the fact of uh, the certain awareness and the heightened awareness amongst the churches as it relates to security and safety of par- parishioners as well as as uh, those that visit the church. And we've talked about how this have come at great uh at a great price. In other words, after the Charleston Nine, as we're now affectionately calling, after the situation happened in Charleston, the interesting thing that happened as a result of that is the fact that many churches began to examine their safety and their security policy. I could tell you that the purchase of camera and security equipment has uh, escalated probably some 150% amongst churches uh, since this incident has happened. But my point still remains that it's an interesting thing that because of the fact of what happened in Charleston, South Carolina, this was a crime where the young man allegedly, Mr. Dylan Roof, came into the, uh, came into the church at Emmanuel AME Church during their Bible study, spent an hour in the church, sat amongst the pastor and those few parishioners that was there on Bible study night. And after an hour of spending time with them, this gunman began to shoot and gun them down, killing nine different individuals, sparing one life so that they could tell what had happened. Here's the point that we're dealing with. As a result of that tragic incident, once again, churches across America, churches across the South, the North, and all across the country have now begun to increase their security. Here's a heightened awareness of security. But I want to caution us inside of this here, and I say this because of the fact that it's interesting how we generally respond to certain matters. The incident of racial hatred being connected to church shootings is not on the top five or top ten reasons of why church shootings occur. Once again, the top three reasons why church shootings occur is, number one, domestic relationship, domestic violence happening between oftentimes a parishioner and a significant other, whether that significant other is a part of that same church or not. But domestic violence come to church, and we see it played out in the pews inside of the church, and oftentimes we've seen fatalities, if not both homicide, suicide, that occurs. The second leading cause of church shootings happen to be personal conflict, meaning here's a person who may have a conflict uh, with the pastor, with a deacon, with an officer of the church, uh, maybe perhaps they've been fired or let go from being a part of the staff. And we have seen the retaliation that comes from those individuals that come back. And once again, it's a personal conflict, and they begin to commit uh, these type of crime. Thirdly, the third leading cause of church shootings is the cause of robbery, just plain out robbery. Individuals have come to the church, whether during church service, after church service, or as a uh, trustee or whoever may be collecting the money in order uh, to later prepare for deposit, and we see the church shooting happen as a result of that. 
And yet it's still, there was not this cry to increase church security in the way in, in the way in the manner that we see now with the situation that happened in Charleston. And what is important about this, and so that you'll understand that I'm not saying, hey, don't get security, but what I'm saying that understand that there are, there are some security measures that must be taken place that looks a little different when it comes to the issue of domestic violence. There are some security measures. And what do I mean by that? What are the first security measures when it comes to the issue of domestic violence that one must take as a church, as a pastor, is the fact that, number one, you must clearly state your position in the church, whether it's verbally, whether it's posted on walls, whether it's part of church hymnals or church books or church manuals. It must be known where you as a church stand when it comes to domestic violence. When you let them know that domestic violence is not tolerated here and that we will hold the perpetrator accountable, when will you let them know that, listen, this is a haven, this is an oasis of rest, so that if you are involved in a domestic violence uh, dispute type of relationship, that you can come here to us at the church. We have dedicated, confidential individuals that will take those calls. See, that is the first precautionary measure one takes when it comes to domestic violence. Because too often time, there are people that sit in the pew that are victims of domestic violence and interpersonal violence relationship. But they will never come forth because of the fact that they have not been given that green light. There's nothing that is in church literature. There's nothing that is being said across the pulpit. There's nothing that has been demonstrated or illustrated that this church is a safe place to be able to disclose that I am a person that am in a, an abusive relationship. If this church have not demonstrated that, then the person who's being abused is less likely to make anyone aware of their abusive situation, even if the abuse have escalated, and now the perpetrator is saying to them, I will come up in that church and I will turn it out, or I will come up in there and drag you out, or I will come up there and shoot up the place. And so if that is being said to the person who's being abused and they happen to be a parishioner in your church, and you have not made or created an environment where this person feel like they could be listened to and taken seriously without being, if you would, re-victimized, then chances are you will not know. Chances are that individual may be the church on a Sunday or a midweek service, and they're coming to church, yeah, because they love the Lord. But one very close, closest uh, first reason that they're coming is because the church is the only place of refuge that they can get away from the foolishness and from the craziness. So now they come to church, and they're there. Listen, they have a different meaning to, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. For them, it's the place of refuge. It's the place of an escape. But if the church have not made it palatable, have not made it an inviting place, have not made it a place of Comfort, a place of serenity, a place of healing, have made it, it has not made it a place where a person can definitely be ministered to in this area here, then chances are that oftentimes that victim, who we will call that member, will not disclose this. And so now they're in church, or they come to church, and their situation at home have escalated and balled over, and now that individual who may or may not attend your church shows up on your church.
church grounds shows up oftentimes bewildered and, uh, and and not only bewildered but shows up in a manner and they begin to start shooting or begin to start spraying the place. They are doing so, and you ask yourself in the aftermath. What happened? I didn't know that she was in that type of relationship. Well, the question is, why didn't you know? Because even with you having security cameras, your security cameras are going to be secondary. They're going to catch it as it's happening or after it has happened, the aftermath of it. But the real first line of security is, number one, acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of that individual who's a victim's problem. Number two, that second part of what's going to be vitally important is not only the acknowledgement of this, but number two is your availability to listen, to hear this individual out. Number three is going to be believability, believe what they're saying without re-victimizing, without casting doubt, without saying things that are though well-intended, but they're said the wrong way. What do you mean by that? Well intended, but you said the wrong way. You said, "Well, he couldn't have done that." I've been knowing, I've been knowing Larry since he was a little boy. I mean, listen, his, his dad is a chair, is a is a trustee here, and you know his folks are good stock, and all that may be true in your eyes, but it does not necessarily give you a definition of who Larry might be behind closed doors. You're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. This has been open line, but we've kind of now gravitated to the subject matter about whether or not your church is ready for a domestic violence outbreak. Is your church ready? Is it domestic violence proof? Is it inviting? Is it a place that a person would turn to, or is it a place that a person will continue to wear the mask because they know that they're either going to be judged or they're not going to be heard? That is the question that one has to answer today. And I invite you to listen. Call your call your friend. Call your neighbor. Hey, better yet, call your pastor and tell him to listen in on this uh on this particular broadcast today because it is very, very important. So what I want to say to you that I think is absolutely uh, important that as we look at things, whether or not our churches are addressing this or not, we have a responsibility to help bring it to them. So I say this to you, uh, even in love, that, listen, this is the month of July. The month of October is coming, and that is the National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. But I'm going to extend to you the invitation of availability of our services, meaning the fact that if you would like to do a workshop at your church, if you would like to bring it as a part of your women's ministry, as a part of your outreach, as a part of your sorority or your fraternity, you can reach us at area code 561-376-2866, area code 561-276-2866. Three seven six two eight six six. That is one way that you can reach us here, and we will be glad to schedule a time with you. Now, what is important about this is that this time is coming along, and there are some real serious questions that need to be answered because people could come to church, and they normally do. They generally do. They can come to church, and we will put our best face on. Matter of fact, we call it pressing our way. We'll come, and we'll put on our best shout, and we call it, faking it till you're making it. And we'll do those things because, of fact, we truly believe that God will meet us there. 
But I do believe that we are also charged with an understanding, of the charged with the responsibility of having understanding. With all Biden getting, get understanding. This is crucial if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to be the people that we need to be in addressing this very serious subject matter. Area code 323-784-9638. Area code 323-784-9638. You're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Hold Us. And this is your host, J.R. Thicklet, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here on the Soul of America Radio Network. For those of you that are calling in and yet, and those of you that are listening by way of phone, if you desire to have a comment or question, simply hit number one on your keypad. That lets our producer know that you have a question and a comment, and we'll get you on the air. We don't, you don't have to give your name, but we will definitely welcome your comment and or question if you should have one tonight, and you will get right on, and we'll be glad to have you. So now, I want to shift gears here because this is very important, because perhaps someone is listening and saying, well, look, uh, my church never says anything to talk about domestic violence, so apparently we don't have a problem here. Well, just because your church never says anything about it doesn't mean that your church is domestic violence free. It just simply means that in many ways that your church have not made it palatable for individuals to come forth and talk about it, have not made it palatable for individuals to feel safe enough to uh, to raise the issue. But I want to give you, based upon some real good information here, but I want to talk to you tonight uh, about some reasons why pastors struggle with domestic violence. And this is, this comes from another writing, and I may have gone here before, but I want to definitely address this today. And if you're listening today, every one of these broadcasts is in podcasts. That means that you can always go back to their website, www.soulofamericaradio.com. Go to the Hope and Healing section, and matter of fact, look at, and look at uh, past shows, history, where you can look at past shows. Look at today's date, and you can find this show, and you can play this show. You can email this show to someone that you might think that really needs this, because this is a very serious matter. And the matter is serious because, of fact, there are many that are being, that that are in these type of situations, and they have no outlet. They have no place to go. They feel trapped. They feel that no one hears them. And then there are cases where we have pastors who are just not equipped to deal with this subject matter. They're not equipped to deal with it. They can deal with a lot of other things, but this is a subject matter that they're not equipped to deal with. And so, therefore, because they're not equipped to deal with it, oftentimes it goes unaddressed, even in our churches. And so what is so vitally important in this case is that we begin to recognize the importance of us addressing this subject matter. It is absolutely crucial, and I want you to know it's crucial for a number of reasons. People attend churches. They put their faith in what is being said across the pulpit. They look for it to be a place where they can be educated, empowered, a place where they can be transformed. I told you, the church is not a place where people come to be conformed. It's a place where people come to be transformed. And I want to go a little further than that, that literally, that not just a place that people come, but the people of the church ought to be, if you would, those agents that go beyond the church. In other words, they ought to be the ones that are going out being the transformers. This information is vital, and it's vital enough to have transformers, those that will carry the message, those that will talk about it, those that will raise the issue about it, those that will not uh, run away from it, those that recognize how serious this matter is. 
And so that's one of the things that is so crucial in this day and time, in this hour, that we must address this situation because the fact our failure to address it only perpetuates it. Our failure to ever talk about it only gives a, if you would, gives a, 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 a silent, a silent um, pass to it. What it says is that this is okay. What it says is that this is all right, and we have to change the message because nowhere is this subject matter, nowhere is this issue of domestic violence ever all right. And I think I need to say that again. Nowhere is this issue of domestic violence ever acceptable. Nowhere is it ever all right. And we have to be very cautious in the way that we handle these things because, the fact, if we fail to handle it properly, if we fail to deal with it in the manner that it does, then we become co-conspirators, if you would, inside of this situation. You listen to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Fickman. I'm so very glad you've joined us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. Now, I wanted to get into something here, and I said I would. And here, here's the subject part I want to deal with. And this was done uh, by uh, John Shore. John Shore wrote this article a few years ago. And he wrote the article... Why pastors struggle with confronting domestic violence? And John starts off by saying, in response to an abused wife twice battered, or twice betrayed, a truly disheartening number of women wrote in to relate their own stories of pastors who, in one way or another, advised them to stick with their abusive husbands, to be more submissive, a better sex partner, to pray more. So I started thinking about the weirdness of so many women Having such similar stories, and when I personally have never known, when I personally have never known a single pastor whose moral compass was so thoroughly tweaked that he actually thought it was in any way acceptable for a husband to abuse his wife. I've known of a lot of pastors, and I have real difficulty believing that any of them, tactically or otherwise, would ever condone domestic violence. And yet here were all these women telling me that pretty. That's pretty exactly what happened with their pastor. And I know those women were not lying or somehow mistaken about what happened to them. When a person is writing the real raw truth of their lives, their words take on a simple clarion integrity that even the most accomplished fiction writers struggle to convincingly fake. There could be no doubting the uh, veracity of these women's stories. Their pastors really had poor, had poo-pooed their fears and concerns, and Bible in hand had essentially pushed them back into the swinging arms of their abusive husbands, which only could mean that the pastors whom I couldn't imagine doing such a terrible thing, or at least pastors very much like them, had, in fact, done that terrible thing. But how? How could these good, loving, well-intentioned men give advice that so manifestly egregiously, cruelly wrong. And that's what led to my wife Catherine and I thinking of the following six reasons that they might. So here's John Shore, six reasons why pastors struggle with confronting domestic violence. And it's number one reason that domestic violence is fundamentally unbelievable. Like all true evil, domestic violence is basically incomprehensible. Most people find it simply inconceivable that any man would systematically victimize his own wife and children. The monstrousness of it renders it unimaginable. So I think it's easy for pastors to, in fact, fail to imagine it. 
When faced with a woman saying that her husband is abusing her, pastors must sometime immediately and even instinctively assume that in some fundamental way the woman must be mistaken. He assumes that her perception is suspect, that she's exaggerating, misunderstanding, rushing to unsupported, unsupportable conclusions, too upset, too emotional. He, be- he hears a woman complaining that her husband is abusing her as he would the same complaining that a Sasquatch keep eating their roses. It's just sort of not possible. Must be an ape that escaped from the zoo. Must be a bipedal deer wearing a fox fur coat. Must be a bear desperate for sweet-smelling breath. Must be anything but a Sasquatch. Nothing else makes sense. That's the first reason. Second reason that John said why pastors struggle with confronting domestic violence, he said because wife abusers are masterful manipulators. And because these wife abusers are masterful manipulators, he says, I've known guys whom I knew were beating their wives. And while I was talking with them, I could not for the life of me see it in them. Guys who abuse their wives and children are typically the friendliest, most sincere, open, warm, generous, good-natured people you've ever want uh, filling your hat with horse crap when you're not looking. Next to a wife abuser, the most successful car salesman in the world is a groveling blubberer in a confessional booth. Wife abusers are sociopaths. They could talk the stink off of a skunk. And guess who's at the top of the list of people the abuser is determined to fool? Exactly, the family pastor, who is very much inclined to love and trust people. Most pastors don't stand a chance against a perpetrator of domestic violence. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thickland, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here on the Soul of America Radio Network. Tonight's subject, we're asking the question, is your church free or safety or safe in case of an issue of domestic violence? That is the question today. Is it safe? What would you do? What would happen? Who would know? Who could you tell? Would you be believed? John Shore deals with this because it's a very important subject matter. John deals with this because, in fact, it raises a question. It raises some points of why is this subject matter so so lightly dealt with, if dealt with at all, even within our most contemporary churches. What is it that causes it to go across the board where no one seems to care, where no one seems to think about this, where no one seems to understand the fact that this destroys lives at an alarming rate. We started off this hour saying this, that it's interesting how much the church have responded to the incident that happened in Charleston, South Carolina. Hate crime, hatred, racism, church shooting. Young man comes in, doesn't look like the rest of the people. So that means that he's readily identifiable. But what do you do with this? What do you do with the fact of the number one reason for church shootings in America is not because of hatred, not because of hate crimes, but domestic violence is that number one cause. It is the reason. It is that number one reason that people show up. They show up because of the fact this is a real issue. They show up and they don't stop until they have carried out what they have come there to do, oftentimes unbeknowing to most. 
most of the time people have no idea, no clue. Because we often want to see the good in everyone at the expense of ourselves and oftentimes at the expense of others. Area code 323-784-9638. That's how you reach us. Area code 323-784-9638. You listen to Hope and Healing, our journey to host wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. And I look forward to you calling in in the next few minutes here. I want to finish up those top reasons. I want to finish up those top reasons why pastors struggle with addressing domestic violence. You listen to Hope and Healing and Journey Holders. This is J.R. Thicklin, and I will see you right back after this break. is the soul of America Radio. Thank you for listening to J.R.L. Thicklin, Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. We feature every Monday night a show solely devoted to people that are going through abuse. Some type of problem in your lives that you can't work out. We mainly focus on domestic violence, the cancer in our lives. Join J.R. Thicklin, your host, here every Monday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock p.m. Central, right here on the Soul of America Radio. You can contact Jay every Monday night at 323-784-9638. Or you can listen to him online. Just follow at soulofamericaradio.com and listen for look for live streams. And that way you can speak or listen, whichever your choice may be. Thank you for joining us tonight. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin, on the Soul of America Radio. If you're listening via internet and you want to speak to the host, Please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the Soul of America Radio. Here's your host, J.R. Thicklin. Journey to Hold Us. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. And before the break, we were dealing with those uh, six reasons, I believe it was, that uh, that John Shore gave as to why pastors do not, uh, why pastors actually struggle with uh, addressing the issue of domestic violence. And uh, we got down to the number two reason, the second reason, 
And I want to deal with reason number three through six right now. And uh, I want to deal with this because, in fact, I think this is very important. So I invite you to join me. Uh, those of you who may have a question and or comment, uh, please do so. So, John, I have talked about the first two reasons there, and I told you the first two reasons was that the, they believe the mess of violence is fundamentally unbelievable. The second reason that uh, because wife abusers are master manipulators. And the third reason here is because pastor thinks spousal abuse only happens in certain kind of families, okay, the air quote, certain kinds of families. So this is what they believe, that most people still have the idea that spousal abuse only or primarily happens in certain types of families, in poor families mainly, in the kinds of families whose members have no particular reason to care one way or another that anyone, uh, what anyone thinks of them. This stigma has stuck, unfortunately. Uh, he said, I used to know a handsome, extremely successful lawyer who regularly beat his beautiful, extremely successful lawyer wife. He struck her on her back and stomach where the bruises wouldn't show. When she finally began telling others of her suffering, most responded like she was the Queen of England, uh, complaining about the blinds in one of the palace sunrooms, a concern perhaps but not exactly a crisis. It, is just, it just doesn't make, didn't make sense to people that a couple so rich, good-looking and successful could be involved in the sort of dreadful behavior that most of us have no trouble whatsoever associating with poor white trash. And pastors are just as susceptible as the rest of us are to unfortunate assumptions of classism. That was his third reason. Number four, he said pastors haven't thought enough about the gray area between submit and abuse. Here's one I think is very important. A lot of pastors hold to the traditional biblical definition of, of the proper relation uh, between a husband and wife, which would be defined by Paul in Ephesians 5 and 22, where Paul says, Wives, submit, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, uh, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their, their husbands and everything. But I hardly think that I'm that from the pastors typically uh, extrapolate that it's acceptable for husbands to abuse their wives. Most pastors know that the rest of the passage from Ephesians enjoins husbands to love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I think it's a safe to say that pastors get that it's wrong for a husband to beat or otherwise abuse his wife and kids, but also think that not enough pastors have spent the time, uh, have not spent the time uh, their positions dictate they should, thinking about the broad, fuzzy line between biblical submission and, a, and repugnant vi victimization. You start throwing around words like authority and submission, and you put and you put yourself on a slippery slope straight toward one demoralizing place. So pastors need to face and acknowledge that they need to take case-by-case -case responsibility for drawing a clear demarcation line between the kind of submission they and the church have traditionally understood as healthy and the kind of submission everyone knows is unhealthy. In Ephesians, Paul is delineating to, uh, a principle, principles divorced from thought, Full practical application almost necessarily hardened into tired, toxic dogma. Then the fifth reason that John says that why pastors struggle with confronting domestic violence because pastors believe what they preach. Pastors believe in the power of Christ to heal, to bring new life, to reclaim, to save, to resurrect. They believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to correct and ennoble. 
They believe in the efficiency of prayer. They believe that through the community of church, God radically and permanently transformed people's lives. They believe in the enduring righteousness strength and marriage and family. A pastor faced with a woman saying that she's being abused at home is almost uh, is about as inclined to advise a woman to leave her husband as a brain surgery is to advise someone diagnosed with a brain tumor to seek out the healing powers of a shaman. Pastors don't advise divorce, but they they don't advise divorce. They don't recommend the shattering of a family union unit. They believe not and dissolution, but resolution. So by virtue of their vocation, pastors believe that it's a husband and wife will only remain in will only remain in union, keep attending church and continue to bring their strife to God and all will be well between them. A pastor advising an abused woman to just stick it out with her husband is actually being quite sweet. He also being really stupid and harmful, but is sweet in so far as his advice reflects his love, hope, and belief in God. Now, if I may take the sixth one here, and I would like to read what John says. He said, pastors simply aren't trained about domestic violence. A pastor faced with domestic violence problems like a football player faced with a curling stone. He kind of knows what to do with it, but not really. What do pastors know about domestic violence? They're not taught about it in seminary. The subject never comes up at their conferences, retreat, or seminars. Domestic violence is simply not a subject present on the big pastoral radar. So just as a football player told to do something with a curling stone might try to punt, may try to punt, hike, or well, uh, or pass a stone, so a clergyman faced with domestic violence problems is likely to counsel patients, forbearance, and the discernment of the will of God. Each man is just doing what he knows. And in so doing, each of each, of course, creates pain. It's not enough for us to simply desire that our pastors do a better job of handling issues of domestic violence. We must also help them to obtain the training necessary to do so. Now, John John Shore uh, he he uh, he wrote that, and it was originally published in the Huffington Post in May of 2011. Here in our book dealing with uh, our manual that we uh, that we have made available, our manual. Introductory Faith-Based Training on Domestic Violence of Pastors and Faith Leaders, I actually give a response to John Shore. And perhaps I should have sent the response to the Huffington Post, but here's my response to John Shore. And you'll find it if you desire to order one of our manuals here. And I say, I agree with each of the points that John Shore, the writer of this article, has written. And I would add that there are many other reasons that could be included. That could be included, but I would like to offer some some how-tos and why we must confront our personal and collective apprehension in addressing domestic violence. We as pastors and faith leaders have to understand that addressing uh, those that are battered and bruised is an intricate part of our mandate and calling, according to Luke 4 and 18. We have to understand that in times of crisis, victims are more likely to turn to, to their pastor and our faith leaders. We must also understand that addressing this issue is as necessary and vital as any other work that we do. We have to keep in mind that domestic violence is a violation of body, soul, and spirit. It can be considered as one of the six things that God hates, which is the hands that shed innocent blood. We have to consider the role and influence that we play in the lives of our congregants, including victims and those that might be perpetrators. That is what we do know. 
Faith leaders have an important role to play in supporting victims through the healing process. Abused women of faith find it very therapeutic when their faith leaders condemn the violence they, they have suffered and demonstrate the true heart of a shepherd, which is to guide and protect their sheep, even if it's from one another. We as pastors and faith leaders have an important role to play in calling men who have acted abusively to accountability. We have to be our brother's keeper, and that starts with accountability. So how do we get there? Here are a few suggestions, and I hope that you're taking this down, those of you that may be listening by way of the Internet. Eric code 323 is the number you can also call in with your comments or questions. So in order to do that, we, we as pastors and faith leaders, number one, We must be teachable and willing to get understanding and training about the issue and dynamics of domestic violence. Remembering the scriptures in Hosea 4 and 6, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge. Number two, we have to reach out to churches or faith-based organizations that are addressing domestic violence and or to secular uh, agencies that are addressing this issue. Number three, we have to not, don't defend or justify the abuse and violent behavior of anyone. Number four, we must build a relationship with those that are doing the work. And five, don't do business as usual. Domestic violence is serious. And number six, reach out. Destiny by Choice, Inc. and the African American Domestic Priest Project in West Palm Beach can help you. And Erico 561-439-3145 is that number to reach us. And the last but not least is don't remain silent. So this is very crucial if we're going to deal with the issue of domestic violence and we have to understand that in conclusion, once again, you cannot change that which you're unwilling to confront. You cannot confront that which you're unwilling to identify. You cannot identify that which you're unwilling to acknowledge. You cannot acknowledge that which you're unwilling to accept. So remember, Second uh, Timothy 1 and 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So it's very important. So inside of that piece there with uh, John Shore talking about abuse, and why this is important, we have to make sure that our churches are ready to deal with these situations. What happens when domestic violence comes to church? What happens when it goes beyond what we thought it would be? So I want to look at another passage here that I want you to think about. Here are a few scriptures here that actually speaks to this. Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14. said, For there was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me, because I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man, my equal, my guide, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. That is a scripture that depicts, if you would, ultimate deception inside of a relationship, ultimate betrayal. And what happens inside of that? Then the scripture there in Luke 4 and 18, somewhat of an anthem of most of us that have been called. Those of us who said that we've been called in ministry, we have all quoted this, whether from this passage in Isaiah and Luke or from Isaiah. Luke 4 and 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. I want you to hear this. Because each one of these describes an attribute of a person that is broken, a person who may be a victim. Because he has anointed me to, number one, preach the gospel to the poor. Oftentimes these individuals are poor, poor in spirit. They've been broken. Number two, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So to heal those whose heart has been broken, their will and their trust. 
Number three, to preach deliverance to the captives, those that have been brought into bondage due to domestic violence, which can be very mentally, mentally, uh, mentally uh, impactful. It can be very devastating. So he said that we're to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, those who can no longer see for themselves. And then he said to set at liberty those that are bruised. People, I cannot describe a scripture dealing with domestic violence more readily than that. And then what I said earlier in Ephesians 5, verses 20 through 26. The Spirit of the Lord is where it says, Giving thanks unto the Lord always for all the things that to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourself one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husband in everything. Then he gives the man commandment. Husband, love their wives. Love your wives. Even as Christ also have loved the church and did what gave himself for it, that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That is what we find inside of this very important scripture, inside this very important passage. And I really invite you today to look at this because this is a very serious point that we need to look at. And we have a responsibility of what we do. The church has to be better, better equipped to deal with this situation. You've been listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. I'm going to take one final break tonight. We're going to wrap up the show tonight in exactly seven minutes. But until that time, I want to bring you back right after this commercial break. To the Soul of America Radio. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin. And remember, you can catch this show every Monday night, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 8 o'clock p.m. Central. And give them a call tonight at 323 784 9638. 323-784-9638. You give Jay a call right now. And now, back to the show.
Healing a Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight on the Solo America Radio Network. That's right. We have been in the midst of a discussion about whether or not your church is domestic violence-proof. Is it ready for, for issues that may result as of domestic violence? A month ago, we unfortunately witnessed the tragic situation there in Charleston, South Carolina, where the young gunman came in and actually killed nine worshipers in the midst of their Bible study after spending an hour with them. It was determined that that crime was motivated out of hatred, out of racism, out of that type of bitterness. And yet it's still that type of crime sparked interest and sparked a lot of um, awareness for churches as far as uh, improving their church security and their church safety. And many have done so and rightfully should so. But my point remains tonight. Inside of the situation that happened, and pastors and churches are uh, uh, doing the right thing, but I find it interesting the fact that the dynamics here are so perplexed in this way. Young Dylan Roof was a, a, a white young man who came to an African <laughs> African American, as a matter of fact, African Methodist Episcopal Church. Came there to a Bible study sat there an hour amongst the pastor and those few that was in attendance as they did Bible study. Then he began to assault and gun them down. Reported stories was the fact that he emptied his cartridge and, and uh, five times. That's been outraged, and, and those things are there. But as I said, we have to watch as well as pray, absolutely. But I brought it back to this point here is that many people have responded to that. And my point is concerned about the fact that the chances of a Dylan Roof or a person of that happening and that happening in your church is a lot less likely to happen than the chances of a member who may be involved in a relationship that is abusive, a domestic violence relationship, What happens when their domestic violence come to church? When it shows up in the church? When it shows up in your Bible study or your Sunday morning service or your choir rehearsal? Because according to the research and statistics, over the last 25 years, the top three reasons, the most, the top three reasons for church shootings has been domestic violence relations, number two, personal conflict, and thirdly, church robbery. Now, for all the other things, robberies and for all the other things, yes, you can put a security camera up. You can do those type cameras. But as I said earlier, your first prerequisite in dealing with the issue of domestic violence won't be necessarily the fact that you put up more cameras. But it's what type of environment, an atmosphere have you created in your church that says to a one who may be a victim that this is a safe place, that we hear you, we're empathetic with you here, we are here to walk with you. If there is not an environment, an atmosphere of that nature, then we are really missing a point.
Air code 323-784-9638. That's how you reach us. We're at the top of the hour, and as I said, this show tonight was going to be a show that uh, we were going to end with. And uh, we're going to end it at the 10 o'clock hour. And uh, we did. Uh, you can always go back and listen to the show here. Uh, I invite you to do so. I welcome you to do so. And as I get ready to sign off for this particular show, I want you to know you can go back and listen to this show and podcast. It is there for you. You can find it. And it will be there uh, for you to share with others. So I'm going to take this last commercial break. We'll come back and we'll prepare to leave. Listen to Open Healing and Journey Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'll be back after the break. Healing a journey to wholeness with J.R. Thicklin is coming back right after this. You're listening to the Soul of America Radio LLC. This is the one and only Soul. violence in her lifetime. Every year, nearly three million children witness domestic violence right in their homes. Domestic violence is most likely to occur between the hours of 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. More than 60% of domestic abuse incidents happen right at home. Survivors of domestic violence face high rates of depression, sleep disturbance, anxiety, flashbacks, and other emotional distress. If you or someone that you know is a victim of domestic violence, or if you think someone is, reach out to them. If you are a victim, reach out to somebody you can call the National Hotline right now at 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233. If you didn't have a chance to write that number down, call Jay Thicklin right now at 1-323-784-9638. Speak to Jay right now at 323-784-9638. And now, Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, continues 
with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Blog Talk Radio.
another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Hope and Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J.R. Welcome and welcome and welcome to Hope and Healing, our journey to wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. That's right, each and every Monday night from coast to coast, you can find us right here on this network. That's right, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock in the Mountain Time Zone, 6 o'clock in the Pacific, and wherever you may be on the globe, you find us here for this very important, informative broadcast of Hope and Healing, our journey to wholeness. For those of you that are joining us for the very first time, maybe perhaps you're listening at www.soulofamericaradio.com, or if you chose to call in to listen, you're calling in at area code 323-784-9638. That is how you reach us here tonight. And for those of you that are going to call in and want to be a guest or have a question or comment, as you call in, just put the number one on your keypad that lets our producer know that you want to get on the airway. I'm so glad that you're here. For those of you that are joining us for the very first time, this show is designed with you in mind. It is a show that uh, that platform is now addressing the issues of domestic violence, sexual violence, abandonment, loss, rejection, anything that have caused you grief or harm, that there needs to be a place of healing. And so we believe that it takes hope in order to heal, and it's a journey to becoming whole once again. And once again, I'm your host, J.R. Ficklin, and I'm always glad to be with you. And I want to say right from the start, I want to say happy Memorial Day uh, to each and every one, and when we say Happy Memorial Day, we're simply acknowledging the loss, the sacrifice, the lives that was given in order for us to uh, to enjoy the freedoms that we have today. I often say this. Freedom is never free. It costs something. It costs a price. And for many that gave their lives, we want to acknowledge them tonight. We're just a little late start, only because of technical difficulties on our satellite end on this end here. But we're here, and we promise you that we will not cheat you out of a show tonight. We believe that we have a great lineup tonight, and we're looking forward to some great Callers and you that are listening tonight, perhaps tonight is something that will uh, will prick your interest inside of some things. We continuously deal with the issue of domestic violence here on this particular show and sexual violence, abandonment, rejection, isolation, all those things. They have a way of causing harm and injury. Tonight's show, we've entitled it, When Loving You is Hurting Me. 
Yeah, some of us have been there before when loving you is hating me. And it centers around the fact of so oftentimes that when victims find themselves in abusive relationship, many times it's not just a classical what people think abuse is and those type things. In many cases, uh, the victim is in that relationship because they felt the need to protect the, uh, protect the abuser. Perhaps the abuser was someone who had a reputation, who had a title, who had a high-profile position, someone who everybody thought was a great person on the outside and everything, but only the victim knows what they have endured. And so in many ways, that victim oftentimes, they are in that abusive relationship not because of the fact that they want to be, but because of the fact that they're trying to protect that individual, although that individual is hurting them. So when loving you is hurting me becomes a real big situation because it also means the fact that I'm trying to protect not only the reputation of the abuser, but oftentimes I'm trying to protect everything that I've built. And so it's a complex situation tonight, and that is our guiding topic topic on the night, not meaning that we cannot uh, talk about other things, but that is our guiding topic on the night, and we want to make sure that each and every one of you are part of it. So once again, listen, text a friend, call a neighbor, tell them to join us tonight right here on the Soul of America Radio Network, Eric 323 Eric 323 Eric 323-784-9638, that is how you reach us here on this great network. And so I want you to just know that tonight, that even as you've joined us, we're going to have a great time, and I want to bring our guest on tonight, uh, and I guess I'm going to allow her to introduce herself. I will say this. She is a survivor. She is a thriver. She is one that has continuously uh, began to do this work inside of addressing domestic violence. As she looks to begin to also uh, being there as a source of counseling and resources for those that are abused and those that are looking to find strength, and she will speak tonight to this topic and whatever topic tonight that she likes to, and I want to officially bring her on, welcome our guest tonight, those of you that are listening tonight, I want to... Uh, Welcome our guest tonight, and I'm going to bring on right now, and I want you all tonight uh, just to uh, give her your undivided attention, call in if you have questions or whatever. And so, so with our audience tonight, let's welcome our guest, Latheria. She's going to give you an official introduction, but we want to welcome her in tonight. You're on the air tonight. Good evening. Good evening, Pastor Thickman. Um, it is a privilege. Yeah. I just want to say it is a privilege to just be on um, this radio talk show tonight. Um, speaking on such a sensitive topic, um, when loving you was hurting me. Um, and thank you for the uh, grandiose um, in- introduction also. Um, yes, I am a domestic uh, violence. I call myself a victorious, thriving survivor. Yes. Okay, and, I say this, and I say this because I give God the glory for helping me successfully escape from a past abusive relationship. Uh, yes, I am a domestic violence advocate and also a wife of a minister, and we share a great passion for hurting families, women and children in the community. So it's such a pleasure um, to be doing this tonight. Um, uh, back to the topic, when loving you was hurting me, um, I feel as though many victims have experienced this feeling and this position. Um, I myself have also walked in this path, okay? And so that's why it's very dear to my heart, this particular this particular topic. Um, all right. Uh, right now I'm going to share my personal story, okay? Please do. Why this is very essential to me. All right. Um, years ago, uh, my ex-abuser 
Um, he was and still is a prominent wealthy business owner in his community okay, with a, a good reputation. I should say great reputation. And his ent- enterprise is the dynasty. Um, his father and other men before him operate the same type of business. And this afforded um, him a very financially comfortable lifestyle. However, little that I know, I knew at that time that loving this man was going to hurt me in a mighty way. Um, for example, in the very beginning of the relationship slash marriage, um, he started to gain and maintain control by using intimidation or fear, by smashing items or using looks um, or using male privilege, for example, acting like the master of the castle and so on. But however, the ultimate behavior that made me afraid um, was this act of attempted murder of or, or nearly choking me to death, okay, in our home. And I remember I was being lifted off the ground uh, with his hands around my neck and I felt myself grasping and struggling to breathe, actually grasping for air. Um, and this was the first time, even though I called the police on him, but I didn't press charges. And why? Well, the reason why I didn't is because I wanted to protect his reputation and image as a successful businessman in the community. And I knew if he went to jail, his image okay, may have been affected you know, negatively, okay, um, for instance, the business itself, the finances, and our lifestyle would have diminished. Okay, so I want to wow. start off with that. Okay? And I want okay. to go into reasons. Um, go ahead. No, go right ahead. I, I, I'm, I'm really prompting you to go right ahead. I think this is so important for for our audience to hear tonight. Okay. All right, and I want to go into um, some other reasons why victims may protect their abuses, reputation, and image. Um, you know what? Frankly, the victim may love the abuser, okay, and don't want to see him harmed or look like a monster, so to speak, in the community. There's a caring factor there, all right? Uh, like I said before, economic reasons, right? If the abuser acquires a bad reputation or image, it can affect their finances okay, and lifestyle in a negative way. Um, For instance, in my case, I just didn't want him to be seen as a wife beater, all right, because I knew customers or clients, they saw it as a negative thing, they would have sought business elsewhere, all right? That would have hurt. And another reason is the victim may feel threatened, Okay, threatened or fearful or realize that, like, if she continues or contributes to any way um, of her abuse's image being tarnished, she could actually die. All right, like, for example, yes, in my case, my ex told me, he says if I had, like, taken his his many toys away, stuff, so to speak, many rich, wealthy toys, what he likes, you know, including the home and including other assets um, or brought his reputation down in any way, he would wait until I take a bath, all right, position myself in the bathtub, and he would have wrapped his hands around my neck and he would have choked me to death, and I believed him. 
because it was the look in his eyes. And, and Victor, at that time, well, uh, she knows. Like I said, she's wow. an expert at survival, and she knows. So at that point, her her best bet, you know, is as a, a technique or a, a way to protect herself and him, she goes alone with it. Um, another reason, overall, like their overall successful family image, like I said, would be tarnished. Uh, tarnished. She may not want the public to view not just him, but their whole entire family in a negative standing. You see? Let me ask you this, because I think it's important inside of what you're saying that, and I think many people don't understand that that, that is oftentimes a struggle with a victim. It is the fact that though this person is abusing me, I don't want to really tarnish their name or tarnish the family name. What I really want is the abuse to stop. But it's very hard for you to come forth because of the fact of the fear of not being believed by others that this individual is capable of doing such. And so, um, you know, inside of that, uh, you know, uh, kind of explain explain those dynamics because there are many people who, who don't understand how complex it is. Uh, in many cases, to get out of an abusive relationship. In other cases, to really uh, turn to someone, you know, someone that you can trust. Uh, Sometimes the shame of uh, and the fear of not being uh, believed is also a big part, wouldn't you say? Oh, yes, uh, definitely the shame. There is shame in that. Um, she may, that's the thing about it, the victim is a female and male. It could be either or. But in my case, she may know Deep down, deep down inside, that he is not treating her, let's say, quote, the best, right? Mm-hmm. Or make excuses for it. Let's put it that way. Make, make, make excuses. All right. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, and she may be looking for that kind and compassionate, generous person to reshow himself. See, mm-hmm. a lot of times, many times, people may think, um, okay, well, all right. Let's say, okay, for instance. Uh, something may happen where she can't hide it, okay? Everybody may see the, let's say, physical incident that happened. So in this case, she can't hide it. He may see her, or somebody may see her being punched or something in public. She's trapped. She feels trapped. Um, she will, most times, she will stand up to him, and she will stand up and support him. Um, again, because, like I say, she wants to portray the image that she's, you know, supporting her man, <laughs> Okay. Um, and for instance, like I said, looking for that, uh, let's say, perfect man, so to speak, to come back out. And, and it's very, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, very difficult to, to, let's say, leave, or even build up the strength, you know, to separate or depart from him um, at that time. And family and friends and individuals, they they might not, you know, they can't understand that they may be looking at her as if. Okay, like I've heard this before, like what is wrong with her? They might judge her and, you know, criticize her. And and that there in itself would make her feel even more shameful, you know, to hide, sort of of like, you know, to hide up up, up under him, you know, so to speak, in a way. So... And so all those factors play a major part inside of the decision that she makes because sometimes, here's the thing, it's not the fact that the victim might not love him, but loving him is hurting her. 
Uh, she's she's suffering in silence. She's hiding in shame. Uh, she's experiencing. Uh, the sense of even rejection. She's experiencing the uh, the sense of a you know the sense of a really a fear, and because of the fact you know when she look at how others may view him, she feels that mm-hmm. she's going to be less believed by others. And and so I wanted you to if you if you could talk a little bit about that, how much that plays into that role of of that victim either remaining silent or, or really suffering um, over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Less believed by others. Oh, usually, okay, the abuser has actually systematically from the beginning have focused his efforts, okay, on being looked in a very good, as a very positive way in the community, okay? In other words, he may be, okay, for instance, he's going to be kind to her family, generous to her family, like in my case, my ex-abuser brought my mom a convertible, right, a car shifted all the way. Okay. Which so when I, you know, went to her and I said, look, he, he, he's really, he's abusing me and I don't know what to do. I, I can't take it no more. And, you know, immediately her response was, well, hmm, well, what did you do to provoke Absolutely. him? Or to upset him? Why? Because he just, he, 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 he bought her things. He bought her even a, a new set washing machine, convertibles, you know, he sent her whatever she needed, okay? So in her viewpoint, right, and her her image of him was like, oh, he's grandiose, he's he's the nice man walking the face of the earth, okay? And he also was very nice to my friends, especially my best friend. They get very close to the, like, her inner circle, they get everybody to, to, to view him as this, you know, nice, kind, generous, oh, it's like a knight in shining armor. Like my best friend, um, he used to help pay her bills, okay? She'd come wow. to me, oh, I'm going to buy and stuff and all. And he's like, you don't know, no problem, whatever she needs. Whatever she needs, pay, uh, pay her bills, help her, you know? And even my, my brother, I, I had a brother, he was the best. Well, to my brother, he was the best male figure or role model he ever had. Why? Because he allowed him to work in his business, right, you know, after he came out of college, okay? So he taught him many things. He's like a father to him. So um, all these people, um, I felt isolated. No family support, no friends, no resources like, you know, like that. So his image was everything. And and let me say this. I want to interject. I really want to interject, Bets, and for those of you that are listening tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin. We have here tonight our our guest, uh, Letheria, is on, and she is a survivor, she is a thriver, and she is here tonight, and she's sharing part of her story. Uh, our, our subject tonight is is very simple, is when loving you is hurting me, and it is really talking about oftentimes uh, the, the abuser oftentimes being able to exert power control simply by reputation, simply by, you know, having and owning certain things. And, 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 and Lothary, you said something that I want to make sure that our callers are listening to. Here's the case, and, and I say this for so many people who say, well, how can 
this person be so bad or it's got to be something wrong with the the victim because he's a nice guy you know he gives he's generous he does things community and all those things there and yet it's still and all those things are true but the, the, the interesting the interesting point behind that is that this individual used those very traits in order to control people in order to uh, to to garner uh, uh, sympathy empathy and support that person does those things in order to absolutely pull people over to to their side because after all who's going to believe that this person is abusive to you or threatening you or or, or, or doing the things he was doing to you in the bathtub or, you know of uh, choking or strangling you when here's a guy who's giving money who's buying mama convertible who's paying bills for friends who were doing all those things there and so to a certain degree that amount of power absolutely make a victim think twice about going forth because she said who's going to believe me when everyone exactly. sees the outward show of what this individual is doing so i'd like for you to just continue from that point because i think it's very interesting and by the way for those of you that are listening today you can call in with any question or comment area code three two three seven eight four nine six three eight if you're calling already you simply hit the number one on your keypad that lets our producer know that you want to uh, have a question uh, a comment and we'll get you on the air uh, you don't have to give your name if you don't like but we definitely welcome you tonight continue mm-hmm. okay absolutely um, she is also less believable because of the image that and the relationship he has also built with their children. That is very interesting. The children themselves. Wow. Um, he will, uh, like for instance, spoil them. A lot of times he would spoil them, get them, you know, whatever they opt for, what iPhone. Um, in my case, it was a iPhone, give them all iPhones, give them clothes, give them everything that they asked for, give them all the trips that they wanted. So when he said something, when he went to them, okay, and said something about mommy, okay, well, well, mommy is acting in this way, and like versus mommy's pathetic, mommy is disgusting, mommy is, you know, negative things, they sided with him. It's like, well, mommy, what are you doing? What are you doing to make him treat you like that? Okay. Absolutely. Or, yeah, did you, or what did you say? Or, you know how he is. So what the children wow. do, they they try to, it's like get, get the mother to turn or act or behave a certain way to calm him, to appease him, okay? Sort of like to stay on his good side because of the relationship they have. They also see him in a positive light. And a, and a lot Absolutely. of times, a lot of times, yes, time, one thing I want to point out is financial. But, oh, he uses um, financial resources as a tool, I should say a wicked tool, um, just because of, you know, how he treats them. He may be sending them to Europe. He's actually putting them in positions financially that she may not be able to do or, you know, as well or as often as he does. And it thought it put a blinder or shutter over um, the children's eyes. So she has, think about it, she has the, the, the children siding with him, okay, even, and I, and I, and I want to say this, even if they're two years old, one years old, straight up to 15, 16, or 20 year olds, it, it, it doesn't matter. He will deliberately try and brainwash the children for many years to get the children to side and support him. Okay, so she could be isolated and don't have that support. Wow. Um, 
And it's interesting, too, even in the congregation, because I've seen it in the congregation with a, a pastor, all right, a clergy. And to me, you know, pastors and clergy, they do have, like, open hearts and want to see the best in, in every individual, okay? But the abuser would actually use that. I said a good good nature and good sense of clergy would use that also against her by even getting on the good side of the pastor. Absolutely. For instance, um, and for instance, it was uh, very recent. He'll go in the back of the church and, and ask questions. For instance, you may have a gathering and, oh, who made this food? Oh, it's, it's, it's very nice. It's very good. And then he'll sit up there and say something like, well, well, who pays you for that? He says, well, don't really get paid. We do it out of the goodness of our heart. Because of the church congregation, he could go in his pocket and take out cash, a lot of cash, and give it right there. Here you go. All right? Because they have the ability to do so, they use their influence in that way, is what you're saying. Yes. So even the clergy and the church members, when they see him, they they see him as a nice, low-key, very generous and kind person. And they don't want to run him away from the... uh, Congregation, they don't want to run him out of the the place. You know, the, the finances will probably decrease too. You see, wow. so even even wow. with that, um, they may come to her and, and say, "Okay, well, why don't you just forgive him? Forgive him. Uh, you know, talk to him. You know, even to a point of reconciliation and stuff. There, there must be something again, re-victimizing the victim. Absolutely." You know, one of the things I want to do inside of that is this. I I want to take a quick break, and I want to come back to you. We have a caller on the line that wants to ask a question or have a comment, and we want to do that. This is very interesting here. When loving you is hurting me, you're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and we'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned. (laughs) 